0: This is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. Maui County is unique in that it covers a number of islands, each with its own set of circumstances. That's a challenge for Maui Mayor Mike Victorino as his team wrestles with a cluster of COVID-19 cases at Maui Medical Center and tries to help smaller isle communities with limited health care options. We talked to him first thing this morning as the valley isle came off of a new curfew that was rolled out this weekend.
1: I have three islands, one of which... We are very fortunate and really, really trying to make sure they have no cases whatsoever, and that's the island of Lanai. Molokai has had two cases and we did extensive testing last week, and they're going back tomorrow to do more testing. Just make sure that there's no clusters and no community spread as, or if we have any community spread that we will know about it. The other area is Maui, and Maui has, has many, many dynamics that are changing the, the landscaping here. First of all, we had been very much wanting more testing. We've gotten that. Dr. Scott Mikovic and his group, Premier Medical Group, we're very thankful for that. With that being said, right now, I believe we're going to see an uptick because we did almost 2,000 tests last week in Hana, Central Maui, and Molokai. And I believe once we see all those results, which will be coming out in the next three or four days, we will see an update because I want to know if there's anything out there. I'm praying that it's not, but I believe there may be more people that may, have been, may be carrying it with right now, the COVID-19. And we need to know who they are and, how, and what contacts they have and separate them so we don't, we don't have any more spread.
0: There's been lots of attention because of the cluster that we saw happen at the medical group there.
1: They're working very diligently. I believe right now there's a number of groups helping them. Kaiser is going to step in and help. Dr. Mikovic uh, is also helping with, with giving them more tests, more swabs. We have the State Department of Health who's ramped up their effort in that area. It's focusing now on the, on the hospital and the, its staff. Right now things are in good shape. We want to make sure it stays that way. But we need to know if the cluster is any larger or their contacts, we need to get them under control, isolated, and taking care of ASAP.
0: You know, and I'm sure the morale is a big issue. You know, there was that petition that was circulated calling for the resignation of uh, some of the Maui Medical Center executives. How are you looking at that?
1: Well, i would be honest with you. I would prefer not to comment on, on that issue. However... I believe Morrell is not very good at the hospital and the medical group right now, and so I'm trying my best, doing my job, provide all the resources I can, not only for the people of Maui County, but our frontline heroes, our medical staff, our EMTs, our police and fire. All of those essential workers, without them, we're all in a world of hurt. So I'm giving all my support and any resources I can obtain to help them. Make sure not only stay safe, stay healthy, but keep their families healthy as much as possible.
0: You know, Mayor, you did institute the curfew this weekend. What's the assessment?
1: Right now, I'm waiting for Sunday's reports to come in, Sunday night's report. But the first two days, it seemed to have gone fairly well. I saw a lot of positive numbers, you know, as far as not many people on the road. I think the first night, I think we gave a total of seven citations throughout the county. Saturday night was, I think, more like 40-something citations. But that's the weekend, so you know more people are going to be out. So, but I see a lot of positives because Easter Sunday, many of the groups that would have gathered did not or did different changes in the way they were going to approach not only the Easter celebration and, uh, and ceremonies, but how they took care of the public and their parishioners by feeding them and doing all these positive events. So, there's a lot of good things going on, to be perfectly honest, here in Maui, more good they not. Fortunately, we don't get that news out, only news that clusters and number of deaths and number of infected or, or, or positive patients. is the only news that seems to resonate on Facebook and other areas.
0: And so your thoughts about the curfew going forward?
1: My executive team and health officials will be meeting later this morning to evaluate to see if we continue or not. So I really don't have an answer. Probably it'll be tomorrow before I give you an answer whether we continue or not.
0: If you could, I don't know, wave a a magic wand, as far as supplies and personnel, where is Maui's need at this point?
1: N95s, which I think nationwide and statewide are in huge shortage. Personnel, making sure the medical staff we have here is protected, and I know there are some outside help that has arrived and will be arriving, and keeping them safe also. I think the PPEs, the Personal Protective Equipment, is really crucial and i'm working very diligently with sources outside of the state to get those for our frontline heroes
0: we were talking with honolulu mayor kirk caldwell and he is advocating more widespread testing and he said that there may be some announcement coming this week about the city's efforts in that regard anything you want to share about you know what else maui is doing this
1: week we're going to ramp up the testing well week number two. We're going to go back to Hana and finish up Hana. We did 400, almost 450 tests there. We did almost 400 on Molokai. We did almost 1,000 plus here in central Maui, and that's not including what they did at the hospital and other uh, medical areas. So well over 2,000, which is nearly double what we did the prior three weeks. So ramping up the testing, I agree with Mayor Caldwell that we need to do that and need to do it now so that we can, for lack of a better term, cut them off at the pass and don't let this hidden enemy get get out in our community as best we can.
0: Do you advocate using tests maybe that don't have um, FDA approval yet?
1: I won't answer that. Uh, I'm afraid to say anything. I I want all the help I can get, but there's got to be standards that are followed, and whatever we use, I must have confidence, and the people of my county must have confidence in its results
0: yeah i think there is concern that there might be false positives or false negatives and you don't get a true picture of what's happening in the community
1: and i believe that's the last thing i want happening here in my county there's enough false information and innuendos and and concerns or unfounded concerns that are floating all around this community just go read Facebook and you'll see what I'm referring
2: to.
0: On the issue of visitors with the clampdown and the quarantines on the neighbor island travel and the concern that some communities have about the vacation rentals and what you can control there.
1: I did cue an order that vacation and short-term vacation rental homes and bread and breakfast homes will no longer be able to take visitors. It's still open for essential workers if necessary because many hotels have closed have limited rooms, and so some of those nurses and doctors and other emergency personnel, along with uh, the test, people coming in to help us with the test. Getting hotels sometimes may be difficult. We're dedicated and we're trying to increase the number of rooms in central Maui for the Hotel for Heroes program. Right now, I think we only have 20, and we need to get that up to 150. So we're working very diligently, but there's only three hotels in central Maui. And one of them is completely closed because they went into renovation. And so that leaves us with just two. And that's probably about 350 rooms, of which some of them are being remodeled also. So it's it's a catch-22. We just don't have enough in central Maui. And about 50% or so of all of the hospital health care providers and health care workers live in central or country Maui, not in Lahaina or South Maui, you know, in West Maui. So we have rooms out there. We have hotels that are helping us there. But for them, when they finish a the shift and they're tired, to drive to Lahaina or to drive to Kihei seems a bit much to ask somebody who's already been probably pressured to the point of just exhaustion and they need to rest, not be driving around. And it's kind of productive to keeping people off the road, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a dilemma we're working on, but I feel confident with the day each LTA and our Maui group. We will find some answers in the next few days and we'll be announcing that. But I want them to have it confirmed before we announce any changes.
0: Okay, and as far as then the enforcement on that so that the priority is given to those workers instead of you know, out-of-towners who want to just come here to take advantage of the cheap fares?
1: Well, on, uh, Well, first of all, those who are arriving without any accommodations, have been turned away we sent three people back in the last uh well two days ago Two went back and uh, day before yesterday one was sent back so if you have no accommodations we're turning you around right at the airport for well, those visitors who are coming in if they are not going to a hotel or a condominium then or timeshare that's that's another one that's big because timeshares are big here in maui county they're being asked to turn around and go home or be arrested and so far most of them have complied uh, with our order. Saturday, we had eight visitors land here in Maui County. The day before, we had four. I see the visitor is not so much the problem anymore, but one more step I'm taking is I'm meeting with the Rent-A-Car Association, and I'm going to um, order that they do not rent cars unless they are for residents from Hawaii or essential workers, not somebody who's coming here for a vacation. So that will also curb that number because once people find that you can't get a rent-a-car, bam, that will change I, I, I think the last visitors that are coming may not come. And if you don't and you're coming, then we'll have a, a van, uh, a transport uh, system to take you from the airport straight to your accommodation, hotel, or wherever you're going, and you are quarantined there. When, you, when your stay is over, we go pick you up, take you back to the airport. That will also eliminate a lot of them driving around, if they are at all. You know, a month ago, almost to the day, I instituted closing all of our regular parks, our playing ballparks, our community centers, restrooms, calls of large gatherings. That was my first step. And I remember there were a lot of people that looked at me and said, are you crazy? Well, a month later, I don't hear those same people saying that anymore. And so, you know, I've tried to stay ahead of the curve, but the CDC and World Health Organization, as well as our State Department of Health, kept evolving, kept changing, and we tried to change staying with them, and trying to get ahead of, of, of the challenge. These clusters that we have here in Maui County, did I see them coming? Absolutely not. But I'm working hard now to make sure those clusters don't grow. I love these islands. Mm-hmm. I love this state. Born here, the good Lord's will probably I'll die here. And, you know, I'm so proud of our people throughout this state and throughout this county. Maui stands tall. Maui is strong. Yeah, we're not perfect. Are we making mistakes? Yes no one, no one has ever seen something of this nature ever hit our state. Would you have ever believed you could count on one hand the number of visitors that landed on Maui? That's profound. you know. And there's many, many other aspects. But God has given me a reason to be here. He's put me in this position, and I'm going to do the best to make sure the people of Maui County are safe, healthy, and when we come out, we come out more resilient than ever.
0: All right, Mayor. Well, thank you so much, and, and okay. you stay healthy, too.
1: You, too. All thank right. you, and aloha.
0: That was Maui Mayor Mike Victorino talking with us this morning about the COVID-19 snapshot for Maui County. And we now turn our attention to the rest of the world as countries consider lifting restrictions put in place to limit the coronavirus spread, and Indonesia minds the past for new ideas, conjuring ghosts to encourage people to stay home. Here's the BBC with the latest uh, with COVID-19 on the other
3: side of the globe. This is the Coronavirus Global Update on Monday the 13th of April. I'm Valerie Sanderson. The World Health Organization warns that the lifting of control measures must be done slowly, how the pandemic is affecting the global food industry, and Indonesia resorts to folklore to scare people into obeying the country's lockdown. The chief of the World Health Organization has warned that the lifting of measures to slow the spread of coronavirus must be done slowly and in a controlled way. Dr. Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus acknowledged that some countries have endured weeks of social and economic restrictions, but said lifting measures too quickly could lead to a resurgence of the disease.
4: This decision must be based first
5: and foremost on protecting human health and guided by what we know about the virus and how it behaves.
3: Spain, one of the countries hardest hit by the pandemic, is allowing building sites and factories to reopen as the country tries to emerge from what the Prime Minister, Pedro Sanchez, calls economic hibernation. But strict safety guidelines still apply, as Guy Hedgeco reports from Madrid.
5: A national lockdown has been in place for four weeks in Spain and is due to continue at least until late April. Police have handed out face masks to people using public transport this morning. The Prime Minister, Pedro Sanchez, has insisted that this doesn't mark the beginning of a broader
3: relaxation
5: of the lockdown.
3: China is tightening controls around its northeastern border with Russia following a rise in new cases of the coronavirus. Many of the fresh infections are of Chinese people returning home michael bristow reports the focal point is china's small northeastern border city of suifenhe where residents have been ordered to stay indoors new arrivals are being quarantined for four weeks and beijing has sent a team of medical experts to the remote city we thought our little town was the safest place said one resident Russia has reported its biggest daily increase in coronavirus cases so far. There have been 2,500 new infections, more than half of them in Moscow. Steve Rosenberg reports.
6: On Saturday, on the edge of Moscow, dozens of ambulances were seen queuing outside a hospital handling coronavirus cases, waiting to drop off patients. In an effort to slow the spread of the virus, the city authorities are now tightening the lockdown. Muscovites will now be required to obtain digital permits – before being allowed to travel around Moscow in cars, taxis or on public transport.
3: The head of a medical research company in Italy says he expects to make a coronavirus vaccine available as early as September. Piero Di Lorenzo of Advent IRBM says clinical trials of the vaccine developed with Oxford University will start by the end of this month. President Trump has retweeted a call for the federal government's top infectious disease expert, Anthony Fauci, to be sacked. It follows a TV interview in which Dr. Fauci said imposing social distancing earlier could have saved lives. But instead, he said there'd been what he called a political pushback. Mr. Trump has been accused of acting too slowly to combat the virus. More than 10,000 people have died with COVID-19 in New York state alone. More than 22,000 throughout the US. The authorities on the Indonesian island of Java have deployed actors dressed as ghosts to patrol the streets to keep people indoors. David Bamford reports.
5: Known as pochong, the ghostly figures are typically wrapped in white shrouds with powdered faces and spooky-rimmed eyes. In Indonesian folklore, which predates the arrival of Islam, they represent the trapped souls of the dead. Reports say the tactic is having a limited effect.
3: The effects of the pandemic on the global food industry are startling, with mountains of top-quality food being wasted and then dumped. Charlotte Gallagher highlights just a few examples. In India, some farmers have resorted to feeding crops
0: like strawberries and lettuces to their animals rather than letting it rot in the fields. It's estimated that dairy farmers in the US are pouring more than 3.5 million gallons of milk down the drain every day. One American chicken processor is reportedly destroying hundreds of thousands of eggs a week. The closure of most restaurants, coffee shops and schools is having an impact. Of course, many people are still going hungry And while lots of food producers are donating food to charities and food banks, there is still a huge surplus.
3: Charlotte Gallagher reporting there. And wherever you've been listening, thank you and do stay safe. This is the Coronavirus Global Update.
0: This is the conversation on statewide member-supported Hawaii Public Radio, and it is now Backyard Quiz Time.
5: umau,
0: <laughs> In today's Backyard Quiz, we look at the history of Ulu Palakua Ranch in upcountry Maui on the slopes of Haleakala. Prior to European contract, Hawaiians farmed sweet potatoes, dry taro, and harvested wood, birds, and pigs in the forest. But modern agriculture started in 1845 when Linton Torbert began farming potatoes and corn and later planted sugar. The goods primarily supplied island merchant ships. In 1856, whaling captain James McKee of Oahu purchased a plantation and moved to Maui with his family, which he renamed after his wife's his wife Catherine's favorite flower. For the next 30 years, McKee farmed sugar, cattle, and other crops, including cotton, during the Civil War. He was also one of the first in Hawaii to import purebred cattle stock. McKee found success because he saw the area's major problem access to water he built a deep reservoir near his house one newspaper said the water this land uh, the water this uh, land in times before was from the stumps of the banana trees and from the leaves of the cocoa Kokona-Kona grass, but now there is water where moss can grow. One of the main attractions of the estate was Catherine McKee's gardens, which included her favorite flower. Which brings us to the question, what was the former name of Ulupelekoa Ranch? Call 941-3689 or 877-941-3689 if you know the answer. The first one to get it right gets a reusable tote bag that tells people you got it right.
6: Support for the Backyard Quiz comes from Locations, whose realtors and staff proudly support HPR's commitment to sharing stories of Hawai'i's people and places. Updated property listings with photos and select virtual tours at locationshawaii.com.
0: We've been hearing a lot about whether the drugs chloroquine and hydrochloroquine, also known as Plaquenil can help COVID-19 patients. Health officials warn there are potential supply issues developing for patients suffering from malaria and rheumatoid arthritis and autoimmune diseases like lupus and Sjogren. We reached out to Malaka uh, Canella, founder of the Sjogren and Lupus Foundation here in Hawaii to find out more. So
4: the Sjogren and Lupus Foundation of Hawaii was started in 2016. I myself was diagnosed with Sjogren's syndrome, but also decided to add lupus into the group because they're similar. People in Hawaii, you know, for lupus didn't have anyone to connect with. Sjogren's syndrome is an autoimmune disease, and lupus is also an autoimmune disease. Both attack their own body, where normally people wouldn't have that issue if you didn't have this autoimmune disease. So what happens with that, with both diseases is that it causes inflammation in your body, which causes what's called a flare. Um, Those flares are not good for your body because they can eventually lead to organ damage and a lot of uh, issues.
0: And so a lot of these patients, though, rely on chloroquine and hydrochloroquine, right? Correct, they do. And they, they rely on this medication to help keep that inflammation down to help decrease
4: or stop the flares which helps to protect their organs, their body, and keep their uh, immune system working normally, so to speak, or as normal as it can with that medication.
0: And because these drugs then have been identified as, you know, holding potentially some promise, what are your members seeing?
4: So right now um, I think there's a lot of anxiety out there, but uh, thankfully the rheumatologists, you know, they're, physicians that they've been working with, who have prescribed them their hydroxy, hydroxychloroquine or Plaquenil, um, have been there answering the phones, talking to them. get telehealth. Um, urgent, you know, care is being seen, um, and they're helping them to get through this and helping them to find their medication. So a lot of the doctors are just. Um, waiting, you know, week by week, trying to see what's going to happen and and just being there to support them and help them find their
0: medication. So there's a demand for the prescriptions that, you know, what some of these patients have have been uh, uh, taking for decades. Some people have been taking it for
4: 20 years. So for these people who have lived pretty much, you know, normal life with this medication, as normal as it can be with or sherborn syndrome, or rheumatoid arthritis, you know, to not have the medication to keep their body safe and healthy and protect their organs can be a little scary for them. And are these drugs very expensive? With medical insurance, the cost factor is pretty reasonable. And that's one of the things that they need to also think about is if you are on medication and your normal pharmacy, you know, can't fill it for you. If you have to go outside to another pharmacy to fill it, you need to um, check, you know, the pricing might be different with your insurance and that pharmacy. So, you know, just take uh, initiative and check on that prior to doing the other price, I guess, other searching for your medication at other
0: pharmacies. And how many people have these autoimmune diseases here uh, in the islands? So we don't have any data. We have no idea. And when I got diagnosed with sugar syndrome in
4: 2011, one of the things that I wanted to do with this foundation when I started was to do some research and to start trying to see what the numbers might be. So I contacted many people, I even depart, you know, the Department of Health, I contacted them. They were not able to give me any uh, numbers. And so um, as far as how many, I can't give you a guesstimate.
0: Okay, but we know that there is some distress out there just because the demand is all of a sudden escalated because of the uh, interest and and the hope that some people have that this could help somehow uh, with the COVID-19, even though there still has to be trials, it has to be tested. Definitely,
4: yes. There is hope for everyone that this could be a potential drug that might help, but there haven't been any real controlled studies that have been able to provide the necessary outcomes that show that.
0: And there are some people who um, might have heard that someone who is taking this drug, let's say who has lupus or rheumatoid arthritis, that they will somehow have an immunity or, or, or won't succumb to this disease. But what I'm hearing is that's not so. You are correct.
4: I've discussed with a few rheumatologists here in Hawaii And that is not true, that you're not immune if you are currently on TACANL or hydroxychloroquine from COVID-19. In fact, um, I spoke with a rheumatologist yesterday who did, in fact, um, share with me that one of her lupus patients was diagnosed with COVID-19. So we need to have more controlled studies, and it's going to take time to figure out whether this is an effective uh, drug or not.
0: Anything else that you think would be important to uh, share with our listeners? Just, you know, to know that their rheumatologists are here for them. We are here. The foundation is here
4: to help them, you know, in any way that we can, to finding their medication, to having someone to talk to, to, you know, getting education, um, whatever support they need, you know, we're here. All of us are here to help. And this should hopefully even out, I guess, you know, in a month or so is what they're they're thinking. The, the prescription availability um, medication should hopefully get back on track in a month or so is what they're thinking um, when they're looking at, you know, what's happening. So hopefully everything will, will get better, much better, and they won't have to be searching and searching different pharmacies
0: for their medication. Right, because the fear is, you know, if there's a shortage, you might not be able to, to get your three month uh, prescription, which may, you may be normally, uh, which is normally what you what you get from the doctor. Uh, and until yeah. the drug companies ramp up production, um, there's still this demand supply issue.
4: Yes, and, and hopefully, you know, something else that might stop is that, you know, um, Physicians who don't normally prescribe um, hydroxychloroquine or plaquenil won't prescribe it for prophylactic reasons. Therefore, the medication will become more readily available for the patients who do need them. So we're hoping that that also um, starts turning a corner here as there's more education out there. But we definitely know that this medication definitely helps those living with lupus, Sjogren's, and rheumatoid arthritis, and they are the ones who need the medication.
0: That was a conversation we had with Malaka Canella, founder of the Sjogren and Lupus Foundation here in the islands. We talked to her last week. For her links, head to our website at hawaiipublicradio.org.
6: Support for The Conversation comes from PBS Hawaii. Insights at PBS Hawaii features a live weekly discussion on the effects of COVID-19 in Hawaii, Thursdays, April 16th, 23rd and 30th, pbshawaii.org.
4: Coronavirus has made all of us go to our rooms, literally, and this can result in a profound sense of isolation. Our Kapuna need our help now more than ever to do our best to not spread the virus. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Join me today on The Body Show to talk about how to meet the needs of our community of elders right here at home. That's today at 6.30 on The Body Show.
6: Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the U.S. Census Bureau, dedicated to providing current information about the people of the United States, now hiring census takers for the 2020 census. More at 2020census.gov jobs.
0: Honolulu Civil Beat's reality check gives us a look at what's happening with the legislative session since it's been paused. Political and opinion editor Chad Blair joins us with a story about how lawmakers are going to have to pivot big time. Good morning, Chad.
7: Hi, Catherine. Good morning to you.
0: Yeah, so they had big goals at the beginning of the session.
7: You know, it was really very unusual. Remember, they had that joint press conference, joint meeting, the House leadership, Senate leadership, others, Governor Ige was there, there was community leaders, business leaders. This was all before the day before session, right? Back in January. And we were gonna have a minimum wage bill and we were gonna have a a plan for affordable housing and pre K and so forth. Well that's all up in the air because literally (laughs) the legislature has been in recess since March seventeenth, right? That's when the governor, on the sixteenth anyway, Put in his stay at home orders, and that is the situation at the House and Senate. So, if, if they're not in session, how are they going to pass an $8.1 billion supplemental budget? Well, the short answer is they can't unless they are formally in session.
0: Yeah, and we really only have like three weeks of session left if we were, you know, under the regular calendar, the normal calendar.
7: Yeah, right around this time, April is always busy. I know you know from covering the legislature that's when they're getting the budget passed. Usually uh, they're going into conference committee to pass or not pass a lot of bills. Now, they can, the House and Senate, gavel back in at any time they want. They can choose to have a special session. That happens frequently. The governor could order them into special session. We just don't know. In the meantime, what's been happening is both the House and Senate have appointed members to a special committee, right, for COVID-19. In fact, even as we speak, uh, they're meeting, I believe, today. But, of course, they're doing that remotely. You can't get everybody in the same room because of social distancing, which is another factor. How can you get the legislature to come back? That's 76 members, plus their staff, plus all the lobbyists and people like me. I mean, you just can't do that because of COVID-19.
0: Right. And there was a concern because one of the senators did test positive, Senator Clarence Nishihara, Yes, he did. He cleared the entire building, actually.
7: (laughs) And we certainly wish him well. But in the meantime, we're talking about very serious money challenges. If you think about it, this is what Carl Bonham, the economist, says. If there's a 1% drop in the state revenue, the money that's going into the general fund, that's about $74 million. Well, Bonham has said, at least as of last month, we could be looking at a, a drop of as much as 10%, even 25% in revenue coming in. That works out at the most extreme, that 25%. That's $1.85 billion that the state would have less to work with. How are you going to pay for schools? How are you going to pay for unfunded liabilities? How are you going to pay for uh, capital improvement projects? Well, that's going to mean tough choices.
0: Right, and I know they were talking about uh, potential pay raises for government workers, You know, raising the minimum wage, but that doesn't look very uh, promising right now.
7: The minimum wage, according to Scott Psyche, the House Speaker, Donovan La Cruz, the Ways and Means Chair, that's just off the table. How can you ask businesses that are laying people off, furloughing, closing, to have a, an increase in the minimum wage? But in terms of that pay raise for um, public sector unions, it's about $160 million. We'll see. I know that Donovan La Cruz in particular said we got to find ways to get more money, more revenue Coming, remember, we're always talking about diversifying the economy. Mm-hmm. Now that we've seen what's happened when our big driver, our big economic engine, tourism takes a big hit, well, it really it really drives the point home. And so that's another discussion, many discussions that the legislature is having with the community.
0: Right, and they are trying to push all the uh, uh, shovel-ready construction projects.
7: Right, many ones that were already approved, ready to go, see if they can push those along. But uh, as far as future projects, it's all on hold depending on what that revenue picture is, and we should know fairly soon some more recent figures.
0: Okay, well, we'll see what that committee comes up with. Uh, we'll be watching closely. Thanks so much, Chad. Thanks, Catherine. That was uh, Politics and Opinion Editor Chad Blair with today's Reality Check. You can find Chad's story on org.
6: If you can't go to the symphony, we'll bring the symphony to you. This Tuesday at 8 p.m., join us on HBR2 for the next in our series of Hawaii Symphony Orchestra Best of rebroadcasts. Ray Hatoda of Fresno Philharmonic conducts Scheherazade, the symphonic story of a thousand and one nights. That's Tuesday at 8 p.m. on HPR 2 following evening concert. Sponsored by Furniture Plus Design.
0: This is The Conversation on listener-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Time now to check in with astronomer Christopher Phillips and HPR's Dave Lawrence with your Monday Stargazer.
8: Stargazer time, our weekly look into the massive universe surrounding our tiny and very troubled planet. And as usual, turning to the expertise of Christopher Phillips, we've got him on the line too. Hey Christopher, welcome back. What do you have for us this week?
5: Hey, Dave, good to be back. So this week's stargazers, look out for the trio of Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn before Dawn. Also, the moon will be moving towards its last quarter phase this week, but skies will still be too bright to see those faintest of objects.
8: And I understand that even though many astronomy facilities have obviously been impacted by the global pandemic, you've got some news on progress being made up at the summit of Mount Achaea.
5: Surprisingly, yes. With the economy in standby mode and many people unable to work, it's been extremely challenging, with most observatories on the planet unable to perform in full science mode. It's a small but incredible blessing that a team of astronomers from Mauna Kea and the Event Horizon Telescope were able to mine past data and provide us with the discovery of a spectacular quasar located 5 billion light-years from the Earth.
8: And explain with a lot of these telescopes down how they pulled this off.
5: Well, if you remember last year, those incredible images of the black hole we came to know as Povehi were captured by the Event Horizon Telescope. Now, along with this data was other data that was collected at the same time from JCMT and SMA. They captured this data, and the analysis revealed the discovery of this quasar, which has come to light now, and we know this quasar as 3 c 279 Another catchy astronomical name.
8: And what makes this one special, Chris?
5: Well, not only is it relatively close from a cosmological perspective, at only 5 billion light years, but this data has revealed a jet of matter and radiation emerging from the center of the galaxy that is traveling close to the speed of light. And... I'm not sure we've seen anything like this
8: before. And do you think using this similar way of looking at data that's already been acquired that telescopes around the world will be able to still make progress during this time?
5: Absolutely, yeah. In fact, we astronomers have sat on a proverbial mountain of data from different telescopes around the world that's been collected over many, many years. In fact, there's so much data we really don't know what to do with it. So I'm hoping that As this discovery comes to light, others will come to light also.
8: And we'll be hearing about them here on Stargazer with you, Christopher Phillips. Thank you so much.
5: You're welcome, Dave.
8: And I'm Dave Lawrence. We'll catch you next week, and you can look for Stargazer at hawaiipublicradio.org. Support for Stargazer comes from Ferraro Choi, architects for the Information Technology
6: and Communication Primary Facility at McMurdo Station, Antarctica. Committed to environmentally sustainable architecture and interior design, FerraroChoi.com.
0: For today's Backyard Quiz, we look at Ulupalakua Ranch. Today, it operates about 18,000 acres on the slopes of Haleakalā. But back in 1861, the estate contained 6,500 acres. And back then, it was owned by a former whaling captain, James McKee, and took its name from his wife Catherine's favorite flowers. There she grew rare plants, flowers, and shrubs, and visitors can still see her circular garden beds. The ranch was also famous for its hospitality, with newspaper reports describing the late-night parties, which included famous guests. King Kalakaua and Queen Kapi'olani visited in 1874, and uh, he became a a frequent visitor so much that a cottage was built apart from the main house for his royal visits. Now, after passing a few hands uh, over the years, it was purchased by the Erdman family in 1963 and remains in their family today. It currently has 5,000 head of cattle, a country store and grill, and visitors can ride horseback and go clay shooting. A decade ago, some 11,000 acres was placed under a conservation easement, leaving it for agricultural uses in perpetuity. On property, visitors can visit the tasting room of Maui Wine. Among its products is Rose Ranch Collection, honoring the ranch's former name and is the answer to our quiz. And congrats to Rob Parsons, first-time winner from Haiku, You Got It Right. That's today's quiz. If you have an idea for one, please send it to talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. The shuttering of our visitor industry cuts deep. It comes at a time when one of our mainstays of our entertainment industry has just marked its 50th anniversary. We spoke with Shaw Thompson recently about Tehati Productions, reflecting on the history of the company and the hard times ahead.
2: Can you imagine shutting down 13 shows? Statewide, I was trying to analyze the whole thing because when we went through 2008, the recession, it seemed horrifying to me. It was just horrifying when we'd lost about two thirds of our business. But this is worse because everything's done, and people are dying because of it. It's kind of yeah, it does cause depression, but our people are. So good. I mean, really, I'm so grateful that, you know, we just instructed everybody go down to and even there's even mishaps there. I mean, you stand in line for three hours and they get to the window and they say, oh, it was overloaded. And so the com- computers are down, etc., etc.
0: You're talking about but, the unemployment uh, office. The un-
2: yeah, the unemployment office. And just as a family alone, I mean, we gathered on we had to laugh at the 12 people rule because I have 16 more puna just to begin with and <laughs> <laughs> not counting the rest of us. And but we did gather kind of for the last year until this blows over, just to have some concerted prayer, you know, to, to, to make sure that we're not just concerned about ourselves, our family, but about our sweet little state and our country. I mean, when I hear that Italy surpassed China in death, that really wakes you up and, and tells you this is a for sure a pandemic, you know.
0: And your company has been in business for 50 years. You just marked that major milestone. Can,
2: can you believe that, Catherine? I remember it Oh so well. I was just a girl I mean really just a young girl right out of high school because hula was a part of my life uh, my family's life we just did it and you know when they told me I could get paid for doing it did I freak out of course I thought that was illegal it had to be illegal but but then you know that sweet little thing that we do when we're happy or even when we're there's some no reason to really celebrate we celebrate with the hula and so that's what I've been paid for for 50 years um, but, it, but it's changed a little bit now maybe a whole lot because my kids now run it misty is uh, i mean afatia is the president and misty mokihana is the vice president boy do they do well for it um when when i was dancing if i might just go and tell you my part of it when i was a dancer out at the puka puka Otea, you know and then Auntie Nani, kahalevai came by took me to australia and as i traveled the world my whole life was just dancing hula dancing tahitian dancing anything polynesian and and that's all i did today my dancers all have, they've all been to college, they have degrees, they have daytime jobs. It's a different ball game now. Fifty years, we were at the right place at the right time, gifted with the ability to share culture. But today, the kids... Kids all have daytime jobs along with this they still do this some most of them a lot of them make more money from dancing at night or in the shows than their daytime job but they still do it because that's part of their life you know our life. Thank God my kids went to college and carried on
0: well you know as as we uh, as you look back over your time, you know you you are passing the baton on to the next generation you know what are you yeah. telling your kids as we're facing this crisis
2: you know i didn't have to tell fatia and misty mokehana very much because they reminded me when i was dancing that they were backstage doing their homework they were part of this whole thing we call life. But when they came home, they they, they tend to um, lead differently. And I'll tell you what I think it is. We were, it was kind of the wild, wild west when I was dancing. When I was at Elaine Frisbee's at Puka Puka Otear, where the old Queen Surf was, we didn't have a dressing room in the beginning. We all had a bush like that, and you you, you hung your your. Dancing outfits, your bras and everything, and we could change clothes, change costumes. I don't know, in four minutes without exposing yourself at all, and and still went on and danced. Today, today they have beautiful dressing rooms and big mirrors, and and they still pick flowers and things. But we used to go up to the mountain and really our own haze and 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 hakus and, and 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 all of that. Today, I know for a time, I don't know what they're doing now, but for a time we had. All the tea leaves delivered to all 13 shows, dropped at the shows per week or every other week or whatever it was, and you make your tea leaf skirts, and it's a it's a whole different ball game. What I'm really thankful for is kids have kept the family unity, if you will, because when Tihati and I were leading, when we were going to make a major change, we consulted with our instructors like Yona Paia and uh, Pulefano Ngalea'i and Joe Reca and Sam Bernard. We'd come in and say, what do you think? Maybe we should do this or that. How can we, you know, deliver this show with more joy, with more authenticity, without being tacky, without just being commercial? We do that. So Today, the kids know it. They know what to do. They make decisions among themselves and then they present it, and it's wonderful. It's just, I don't know how that happened. It's just a different ballgame. They're careful to make sure that the authenticity and what Hawaii has to offer is real. And I mean, it, 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 it's just different. I still think, I'm a little bullyish, if you will. <laughs> I still think that I have all this wisdom I want to impart, and I go down sometime and I make some. Suggestions, and sometimes they listen and sometimes they don't, but um I am so grateful that our people, those especially that don't do other, don't have other jobs that depend on Tihati productions to, for the, as they live, you know, as they' living it, it, to me that, that that's the difference that the difference is is that we had a had a unit, if you will now the burden if you will the burden and the hardship lies on my two kids and they while they care as intensely that i did it's different they decide and they take them you know them whatever mistakes they make You eat it. And if it isn't a mistake, then you're grateful that you didn't make that mistake, you know. And I just observe kind of from the sidelines. But I still insist when we have gatherings that I do a hula for everybody (laughs) or bang up a Tahitian number. That's fine with me.
0: You know, I was at the bookstore and I saw your book. Marking, you know, this big anniversary So I, I bought it And just, you know, flipping oh, through the, the pages you. And and looking at those images You know, what a wonderful thing And I'm sure you were so proud When you were able to bring the show To Washington, D.C. at the White House When oh. Barack Obama was president yeah.
2: I'll tell you, we played for people Like the King of Thailand And, and other big, big prominent people But to be able to pay, play for our president Was amazing I was just sorry that I didn't I wasn't sharp enough to take some of my Grandbabies, I mean, the, our youngest of 16 is only two and a half. And, man, he can do that knife dance without the fire. <laughs> he dances. He thinks he's all. And we insist that anybody in the living room that's there, better watch and applaud and and you know encourage oh he's a little ham and his name is tihati He's named after his grandpa and every time he walks in i have to go outside and take some tea leaf off the bunch off the bush and make his tea leaves around his head and his legs and make sure that he's able to perform at least once for whoever is here i wish i did that but what is amazing is to, you know, when I first got the call, I really, when I say that the company operates like a family, I proudly say that because I was in my office one morning and my secretary came in and she said, Sha, the White House is on the phone. And I said, okay. And I picked it up and I said, yeah, right. And I live in the Brown House. And I, there was dead silence. And the gentleman came on and said, ma'am, my name is such and such. And I'm speaking on behalf of Barack Obama our president, I nearly fell off my chair. I immediately started to talk haole, (laughs) because I'm telling you, I I was tongue-tied, and I said, I'm sorry. And he said, the president would like for you to come bring your show to Hawaii for the very first luau ever. And I couldn't breathe. And I said, "Okay," And I'm sure he thought, "Okay, who's this silly mini that cannot speak? But, you know, and then he gave me all the instructions. And I hung up, and I went into my son's office, and I stood there, and I said, I I have to talk to you, because I was still, you know, the CEO of the company. And he said, okay, I'll come in, Mom. And he came in, and I said, the president wants us to come. And he smiled, and he thought, because, you know, we, we jive with one another, and we, whatever idea he has, I try to crush it so that he never gets conceited. But he thought I was pulling something and then when I explained, we, we both sat there, and we we nearly cried. I mean, we still think of us as the hula girl and the, and the singer, you know. It, it, and then the plan started, and I'm telling you, we were amazed how Hawai'i's people gathered around us, and the hotels that we had contracts with, the Hilton Hawaiian Village, and uh, Jerry Gibson said, how much you need, 10000 whatever. And the hotels started... Paying because, as you know, the government cannot pay our way. And so everybody got money and and just sent us off, and we... (laughs) What an (laughs) honor. What
0: an honor. What an honor.
2: Oh, I'm telling you. And when we got there, the silliest things happened that really should just be for us, but you're Catherine, so I'm going to share it (laughs) with you. We get there, and we have our own dressing room in the White House, and I'm more interested in the history because I'm a history buff, and I'm looking at all the bigger-than-life photos of pictures of the frames of all the first ladies and, and what have you. And then we come to one, and the man is saying that the White House was built, and, and he's giving us all that. And I chime in simply to say, and my daughter and my son roll their eyeballs, and I say, are you aware that Hawaii was had running water and a toilet and electricity before the White House? I mean, and there's a, you know, they're giving this to us as a private tour. And they're thinking, oh, no, there goes Mom. And he says, the man says, I think I have heard of that. Oh, and so I want to tell all about our little dot in the middle of the Pacific. And I go and tell them what Kalakaua did. And she says, would you like to come here and, and up front? And I say, oh, no,
0: no. <laughs> um, they all know. My people know. You have so many wonderful memories, and we hope that your company will be back to work and that the kids will uh, will, will power through. Imua? God bless
2: you all, and, and we'll keep plugging along.
0: Okay. Well, thank you so okay. much, Sha. Oh,
2: aloha mau. Okay. Aloha.
0: That was Sha Thompson, founder of Tahati Productions, reflecting on the highs and lows of the company as it has just marked its golden jubilee.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: We at HPR hope you'll join us in thanking our underwriters for their continued support of our mission to educate, inform, connect and entertain our community before, during and after this crisis. This critical backing from the business community helps us bring you the information you need in these uncertain times. A genuine mahalo to the more than 200 underwriters who make this station stronger.
0: That's it for today. Tomorrow, we hear a rebroadcast of a show that we did uh, on how to deal with the stresses of this time. How are you coping? Have a story of kindness you'd like to share? Do you feel the need to help others? Call or talk back line, 808-792-8217. Tweet us at HI Conversation or head to our Facebook page. And remember, all of our shows are archived. Find them on the conversation page at hawaiipublicradio.org. I'm Katherine Cruz. We will be back tomorrow with more of the conversation.